0: Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, I was reading um, in a, uh, one of my devotional books that I picked up recently. I, I put it down for a few years, picked it back up recently. I love reading devotionals, daily devotionals. I read Streams in the Desert every day, Jesus Calling. Uh, One I started a couple years ago is is called uh, A Divine Romance by Brian Simmons. It's really, really good stuff, basically based on the Song of Songs. It's one of the most powerful devotionals I've ever read. But I recently picked up again um, Smith Wigglesworth daily devotional. Smith Wigglesworth was was a man back in the early part of last century who um, was very backwards and shy, his wife was a Pentecostal preacher, and he had an encounter with Christ that changed his life and He, he went from being very shy and backwards to very to be, he was, a, he was a, a plumber, just a common plumber and and he, um, he uh, by the way, plumbers are not common anymore. I, I heard a story about a, a lawyer uh, that that was complaining about to his plumber about the plumber bill he 's like He's like, that bill, this bill is ridiculous. And, and he said, the plumber's like, I'm sorry, but that's what, you know, that's, he's like, You're, it's like 50 bucks an hour. He said, I'm a lawyer, and I don't make that kind of money. And the plumber said, yeah, I used to be a lawyer too. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but Smith Wigglesworth was a lawyer, and uh, I mean, no, a, a plumber, not a lawyer, and, uh, but he became a great, a great evangelist. Uh, he was one of, no, known for healing. Uh, healed hundreds of people of things. I mean, serious diseases and maladies and infirmities, and raised. Uh, someone said the count was like he up to 19 people from the dead. But uh, this this daily devotion was so powerful, and um, I was reading it a few days ago. And he spent two days on one verse out of Acts 22. Uh, yeah, Acts chapter 22, verse 10. And just this one line, and it's Paul. So, so let me set the context. Paul um, has lived out most of his ministry already. He's in Ephesus, where this church that just loves him so much. I, I think Ephesus was his favorite church. I really do. And and the Ephesians were just so wonderful. If you read about them in in the Book of Revelation, they're one of the only churches that gets mostly affirmation from the Lord for their devotion and their commitment uh they they're a little overzealous in some areas but but he you know the lord really loves them and and so they loved paul and there's this prophetic word that paul's going to suffer if he goes back to jerusalem he's going to be put in chains he's going you know all this bad stuff's going to happen and paul says i'm sorry but i got to go anyway and so they're crying and they're begging him not to and so he leaves and he goes back to jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he's there in the temple worshiping and some Jews recognize him. Hey, there's that traitor. There's that that Pharisee that left the faith. And and they all of a sudden this riot breaks out. And so the Romans sweep in, and and they're and they they try they calm the crowd down. And and Paul asks permission to speak to his brothers. And and so the guards let him do it. The the the, the uh, uh, Roman officials let him speak. And so he, he basically just gives his testimony. Pharisee of Pharisees persecuting the church. And as he's on his way to Damascus, he said, I just had stood and and watched the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen to death. Uh, And I stood there with approval of his execution. And then I left for Damascus. And I'm on my way there to arrest more Christians when suddenly the Lord Jesus appears to me. This This light flashes around me and I see the Lord. And, and, and he, he says, he speaks my name and I say, Lord, who are you? He says, uh, he says, Saul, Saul, why are, are you persecuting me? And he said, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Because if you persecute us, if, if, if people persecute the church, the body of Christ, they're persecuting Christ. If you remember when Stephen was stoned to death, he saw the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus went to sit at the Father's right hand, but when Stephen was being martyred, Jesus stood to receive him. And so Paul's, uh, it's really fascinating. As soon as Jesus identifies himself and Paul realizes what he's doing, he asks this question in Acts 22.10, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? As soon as he realizes, I mean, this is a man who has committed his life to God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He believes with all his heart that he is serving his God faithfully. And as soon as he realizes who Jesus is, who the Christ is, who who he's... Uh, you know, who is the head of the church and who he's been persecuting, and, and has a, a, a moment of, of reality here, a moment of truth, a moment of revelation. He immediately switches his alliance and his allegiance and says to the Lord, What do you want me to do? And of course, the Lord says, I want you to get up and I want you to go to Damascus, where you're headed. Go to Straight Street, to Judas' house, and there's a man by the name of Ananias who will tell you what to do next. He'll pray for you, and he'll tell you what to do next. In the meantime, <laughs> the Lord is speaking to Ananias, who is afraid of, of Saul, Paul. And, uh, and, and so he says, I want you to go to Judas's house on Straight Street. I want you to pray for this man named Saul of Damascus. He's like, Lord, ah, you know, this guy's killing Christians. He's like, He's, I'm good, we're good. He's mine now. I want you to pray for him. I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to show him how much he will have to suffer for my name. I'm calling him to the Gentiles and to the house of Israel. He, I didn't realize until I reread this story, he was called both to the Gentiles and to his brothers and fathers. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Boy, there's a great calling. Yay! All right. I want to tell tell two more stories this morning as it relates to the subject of, Lord, what do you want me to do? Many centuries before, there was a man by the name of Abram who lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, Ur was a, a metropolitan city in Mesopotamia, the cradle of civilization, uh, Euphrates River Valley, right where it empties into the Gulf. It was a lush, beautiful city. Uh, agriculture was flourishing around the, the mouth of the, uh, or the, where the, the Delta, I guess, of the Euphrates River. Uh, this man was rich. He lived with his family. He re- lived with, with you know, he, he had lots of friends, lots of wealth. And one day the Lord appeared to him and said, Abram, I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your land and go to a place that I will show you. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11 says that Abraham went forth, immediately went forth, not knowing where he was going. He eventually ends up in Canaan, which is now Israel. And he um, he has the, his nephew with him. His, his brother had died, and so his nephew Lot was kind of like a son to him. Well, the Lord, uh, I mean, they prospered so much that they had to split, split company. And so, of course, Lot went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and you know that story. But, but um, Abram was able to, inherit the land of Israel. God said, now go forth throughout the land and I'll give you every place your foot lands. But God, one night, He, he said, I want you to come out, I want you to look at the stars of, of the heavens. I want you to look at the stars. He said, I'm going to give you a sun and your descendants from the sun will come descendants that will be more than the stars or uh, as plentiful as the stars in the heavens and the sand on the seashore and so he made this promise to give him a son 25 years go by 25 years until Isaac is born he finally has this boy that he's longed for pined for G- uh, god changes his name from exalted father abraham to uh, abram to abraham which means father of a multitude and he still has no children can you imagine telling your friends hey no longer am i going to be called you know, uh, exalted Father, but now I'm going to be called Father of a multitude, and he's 99 years old and still doesn't have a kid. Don't you know they're laughing at him like they laughed at Noah building an ark in the middle of, of, you know, no water? And so, so he 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 obeys God at every turn, and so finally in chapter 21 of Genesis, he receives this boy, this son. He he has this son, Isaac, which means joyful laughter. He and and his wife Sarah were just joyfully laughing over this miracle of miracles that in her 90s she could bear a child. And so they have this boy and they love this boy. And a dozen years or so go by and Abraham's heart is completely wrapped around this boy. Now, he's probably at least 110, probably older at this point. And, and everything that he has ever Lived for is wrapped up in his son. His life is over. I mean, you know, when you're 110, 112 years old, you've lived most of your life. I would say, even at that, in that, in those days, everything about his future rested on that boy. Every promise that God had made to him was going to be fulfilled through that boy. And he loved this boy. He loved Isaac with all his heart. In fact, I think that at some point his heart probably crossed from love and admiration and appreciation over into a little bit of idolatry. Do you know what I'm saying? You can love something so much that it becomes everything to you. And so, the, so in chapter 21, Isaac is born. In chapter 22, it says sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. Then the Lord said, now listen to this. This is powerful stuff. Did God know how much this boy meant to Abraham? Listen to this. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that must have felt like? To this old man whose entire life and future and, and heritage and, and, and legacy and everything that he was, he was and ever would be was wrapped up in this boy. Now listen to this. Early the next morning. Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And we, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will come back to you. That was a prophetic statement, by the way. Now listen to this. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Now, guys, this is really powerful stuff. There's so much symbolism in, the, in what's playing out here. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him on the mountain. I will show you. I'm, I'm just, there's so many parallels here to what happened with Jesus. Jesus. I'm going to talk about three of them quickly, just reference them. I'm not going to spend any time there because the important thing is about Abraham's obedience. Isaac is carrying the wood up the hill. His, only, his son, his only son whom he loves, he's carrying the wood up the hill to be sacrificed on it. Where else have we seen that happen? Do you realize that Mount Moriah and the place where Abraham built the altar and put the wood was the exact spot that Jesus was crucified? It's the same spot. And so Isaac, who would be sacrificed on the wood, is carrying the wood up the hill. By the way, the cross was made out of the wood, out of wood. <laughs> He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, he says, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood is here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? (laughs) I'm pretty sure Abraham was avoiding making eye contact with, with Isaac at that at that point. Don't you know that's just breaking us? The knife is in his own heart at that point. This little innocent child is saying, Father, the wood, the fire, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb that will be sacrificed? Where is the lamb that will be sacrificed? Again, prophetic stuff. Because the lamb would be sacrificed, not Isaac. There would be a lamb that would be sacrificed on that mountain. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. And he would. And the two of them went together. And they reached the place where God told them about. And Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son, your only son. Dennis Kinlaw um, used to be president of Asbury College, great preacher, and he tells a story. He says, in that moment, God the Son looked at God the Father and said, We'll be back to this mountain, won't we, Father? He said, Yes, Son, we will. And he said, It won't be one of them on the altar next time. It'll be one of us, right? He's like, That's exactly right, Son. Because I can never ask them to do what I myself am not willing to do in reality. the angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, now listen to this, this is really important. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Is obedience important? Lord, what would you have me do? I'm going to tell a story about another man named Saul. King of Israel. First king of Israel. Samuel is a prophet and a judge. He's the last judge of the judges in Israel before the kings come along. The Israelites commanded or demanded Samuel give them a king like the rest of the pagan world around them in the in the land of Canaan, and so God relented and said, Okay, I'll give them a king. They'll regret it, but I'll give them a king. And so King Saul, this tall, handsome warrior of a guy, a Benjamite, was selected king of Israel. And Samuel anointed him king. We pick up in uh, 1 Samuel 15, it says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the, the Lord... Uh, no, I'm sorry, I am the... Yeah, so, so he's quoting the Lord here. I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over His people Israel. So now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites... For what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came from Egypt. So the people of Israel, God's bringing them out of Egypt. They're, 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 not, a, they're not an army, they're not weaponized, they're, they're just a bunch of slaves coming out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt to go into the promised land. And the Amalekites attack them. So the Lord says to Abraham, or uh, so, so the Lord says to Saul, now go attack the Amalekites. "...totally destroy everything that belongs to them, do not spare them, put them to death, and their sheep and their cattle and their camels and their donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. And he took Ahag, king of the Amalekites, alive." And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the fat calves and lambs. But they destroyed everything else. Did he do what God said? Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Samuel obeyed the Lord. Saul did not. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to see Saul. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instruction. Wow. By the way, he had gone up to Carmel and set up on a a monument in his own honor. After he had disobeyed the Lord, so he did this horrible thing. He set up a monument in his own honor. That's great. But Samuel said, What is this bleating of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. "'Stop!' Samuel said to Saul, "'Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night.' Saul replied, "'Tell me.' Samuel said, "'Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did, not become the, "'did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? "'The Lord anointed you king over Israel. "'He sent you on a mission, saying, "'Go and completely destroy the wicked people, the Amalekites. "'Make war on them until you have wiped them out. "'Why did you not obey the Lord?' Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Now listen to this. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Ahag, their king. And the soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He's not even claiming God as his own at that point. It's a really important point here. But Samuel replied Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed the Lord's voice is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. And arrogance, setting up an idol in your own honor, is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. They have a little bit more of a conversation. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught the hem of of his robe and tore it. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. And until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Do you know what happened to Saul after that? Do you know how his life was lived out? His family rejected him. God had rejected him as king. He called David and and had Samuel anoint David as king of Israel while Saul was still on the throne of Israel. Saul lived his life in paranoia and fear in hatred of David. He had an evil spirit that oppressed him and, and harassed him for the rest of his days. He spent his entire kingship trying to kill this anointed king, David. Pursued him like a wild animal. Chased him all over Israel, all over Philistia. Everywhere David went, he was right on his heels. David had several opportunities to kill Saul, but he refused to touch the Lord's anointed because he wanted to obey his God. And finally, at the very end of his life... He fell on his own sword in battle to keep from being tormented by his, his, the people that had conquered the army of Israel. <laughs> tragic, tragic story. His, his son, who was heir apparent to the throne, Jonathan, rejected his father and became David's best friend and protected David from his father. Saul was actually looked at as a fool Because of the way he conducted himself by by his own people. Saul of Tarsus obeyed the Lord to the end. What did his life look like? Well, it didn't look like Abraham's. It didn't look like, on the outside, it didn't look like blessing. It didn't look like he lived out his days in in ease and died at a ripe old age after having all these wonderful sons and grandsons and all this stuff. Saul, who became Paul, suffered for Christ, for the name of Christ. I shared two weeks ago. He was beaten five times with rods. He was given the 39 lashes of the Jews three times. He was stoned to death and actually was resurrected from that and walked away. He was shipwrecked twice, I believe. He spent three days on on the open sea holding on to a plank of wood He was imprisoned numerous times. He was taken before all kinds of rulers and judges. And the last time, I believe, he got to appear before Caesar and give his testimony. And then they took him out behind the uh, whatever and cut his head off. And he died. But he tells his spiritual son, Timothy, I have fought, this is at the end of his life, I have fought the fight. I have run the race and I have finished the course. I have kept my faith. And there is laid up for me a crown of glory that the Lord will give me on that day when I see Him face to face. His life was not a life of joy and blessing as we view joy and blessing. But His life ended well. He finished well. He finished well. Do you know how many... You should go through the scriptures and see how many people, especially in the Old Testament, didn't finish well. They started out great, they didn't finish well. Solomon is a classic example. The Lord's blessing beyond anything that a human being has ever experienced materially in this world. And yet, at the end of his life, he worshiped idols. He rejected his God and worshiped idols. There's so many people that don't finish well in the scriptures. Guys, I want us to finish well. I want us to obey the Lord. I want us to get up every day and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Every minute of every day, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do next? That's how we should live our lives. Lord, what do you want me to do? Not my will, but thy will be done. I, Hannah, if you and, and, and uh, Shane could go ahead and hand these out. I'm handing out a prayer to you. This is a prayer I've started praying daily in my in my quiet time. The Lord inspired this. I, I just one morning, I just, I just wrote this in my journal, and then I decided that I wanted to pray this prayer every day. And so I'm, I'm giving this to you, and I'm going to pray this as we close. And then I'll invite the uh, I'll, pray, I'll pray a closing prayer, and I'll invite the the ministry team up. But I want you to have this in your hands as I read it. And um, we, just pray this with me in your heart. You don't have to pray it with me out loud unless you want to. You're welcome to. But as I read this, I want you to just pray this with me, Okay. Anyone not have a copy at this point? I think right right here we got um, these na- people in mask over here don't have one. <laughs> I, I think I think there's uh, a couple people over here. Sorry. Okay. All right. Maybe I didn't print enough. I wow. You guys, this is amazing that we have this. So, Youngs, you guys need to share. So, all right. Thank you. All right. Let's read this together. Lord, I truly repent of not abiding in you and not seeking only the will of the Father. May the seriousness of this season of life dictate my words, thoughts, and actions. I sincerely repent of disobedience, judging others, and not seeking you and your will at all times. I will seek you, pursue you, and obey you with all my heart. Allow me to live out my days and my calling. Cause me to live for others and to minister to their needs. Sorry, there's a typo there. To minister to their needs. Lord Jesus, I want you and I need you. I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord Jesus, I want more of you and all of you by any means and at any cost. I want all of you and me from this point on and forevermore. Holy Spirit, I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus in deepest intimacy. Holy Spirit, cause me to seek Jesus and to abide in him. Lord Jesus, I need you every moment, but I need you right now. Lord, what would you have me do right now? I am faced with blank, (laughs) just write whatever you're faced with at the time. I commit my day and my work to you. Lead me by your Spirit. Lord Jesus, please do for me and in me and through me what I cannot do. Use me like a glove on your hand. Fill me now with your spirit and refresh me and renew me in my spirit. Fill me with the knowledge of the Father's will and do his will and speak his words through me. Now lead me in the way I have not known. On the highway of holiness, along the paths I have not gone before in the Father's will. Open my blind eyes and turn the darkness into light before me. Make the rough places smooth on the road ahead and and never forsake me. Not my will, but your will be done in and through my life, now and forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.